Brothers and sisters in our Savior Jesus, all human beings have got the same problem. All human beings have got the exact same problem. And we know what that problem is because we heard it in our sermon text today. Here's how Peter describes the problem. And he's quoting an Old Testament verse, but he says, All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. And so do people. Right? So the problem that all human beings have in common is that we are frail and life is short. Every new generation pops up like the, the green grass of spring and it's full of life and it's ready to change the world. And then every generation ages and withers and fades and dies. I was looking at different videos this week of like you can see a flower springs up and grows and then how it like fades down so quickly and dies. And this is what happens with human beings, the Bible says, and, and we know from looking at our world. And there's no exceptions to this, right? It, it spans the rich and the poor, the celebrities and the nobodies, the righteous and the unrighteous. We, we spring into life, we blossom, we flourish, and then we age, we fade, we wither, and we die. So that's a pretty depressing start to our sermon today. Uh, it's a depressing fact about our world, though. So how does our world deal with it? How does our world deal, deal with the problem that every generation grows and then fades and dies? Well, the way that we deal with this as a society is we ignore it. Right? And it's really interesting how our society in particular chooses to focus on health and youth and strength as a way of just shutting out aging and weakness and death. Um, if you think about it in our society, the celebrities, the heroes, the influencers, typically are young and strong and healthy. And then as they kind of age out, they get seamlessly replaced with a new crop of influencers who are young and strong and healthy. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I'm starting to notice it more and more that maybe you look at the, the models on the covers of magazines and you're like, they don't seem to be aging the way that I'm aging. Or you look at athletes in sports. It's all these athletes in the prime of their life, with the exception of Tom Brady. None of these athletes seem to be aging the way that I am aging. So what is happening? It's that our society is choosing to kind of ignore the withering, aging death that comes. And we just only focus on youth and health and strength. And it's because we don't want, as a society, to admit the truth that, like the grass of the field, we pop up quickly and we fade. Like the autumn leaves, we wither, and one day, we're going to fall. So this is the problem that everybody has. This is the problem every generation in world history has had. Uh, where does this problem come from? Well, we learn in the Bible that this problem is the result of sin. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 5. He says, sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And he's talking, of course, about Adam, the first human being that God ever made, and how Adam ate from the forbidden fruit, from this forbidden tree, and then he fell into sin, passed his sinful nature onto his descendants. On that day, God told Adam, dust you are, and to dust you will return. And that's eventually what happened to Adam. And because we have his sinful nature, because we have our own sins, that eventually is what happens to us. So, on this rainy, 
Sunday morning in Atlanta, our sermon starts with a very depressing thought. All human beings have the same problem, which is death caused by sin. But God has a solution for this one big problem. And God reveals that solution. He has revealed to us that solution from his word. And he says it like this in 1 Corinthians. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And this is really the story of the whole Bible, isn't it? It's the story of God becoming a man and walking in this world, living a life in our place, taking our sin upon his shoulders, going to the cross and dying our death, the death that we deserve, being buried in our grave, the type of grave we face someday, and then, three days later, bursting forth in glorious life and victory. If you could sum up the whole point of the Bible, the whole teaching of the Bible, in one single picture, it would be this picture. We've shown this picture before, but what does this picture show? It shows, here is your Savior diving from the land of life down into the land of death to get you. And as Jesus does this, as he comes for the human race, the only way to do it is to get his hands dirty and to experience death himself. But he grabs us, and he pulls us out, and he resurrects us, and he lifts us into spiritual life that will last forever. One day, we have a resurrection coming in our bodies. And right now, already, we've had a resurrection in our souls. Even though we live in mortal bodies which will one day die, we are spiritually living. Spiritual life has begun inside of us and it will continue forever in heaven. So this picture summarizes the whole message of the Bible that God sent Jesus to come and get us. And that message changes everything. It deals with our biggest problem. And so it, it changes the way that we live and the way that we think and changes the way we even think about dying. Our text says, all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But not us. Not anymore. Not at the end of our story. Because Peter says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, like a plant that's going to grow and wither, but you have been born of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Through faith, in Jesus, spiritual life has been planted in you, and that spiritual life will not end when you die. It will grow and continue for all eternity in heaven. So let's summarize what we've got so far. All human beings have the same problem, death caused by sin. God has provided a solution to this problem, a complete solution, in the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. God brings us this solution through his living and enduring word. And finally, through faith in Jesus and in God's word, we get to become living and enduring too. Makes sense. So, so we're good. Our problems are solved, and we can say amen. Not quite yet, because what Peter does in our text is he just reminds us of, of where we are that we're not in heaven yet. We're not in heaven quite yet. We still are here on earth, and this earth is enemy territory. 
And the enemies that I refer to are our threefold spiritual enemies that we often talk about. The enemies are the devil and the world and then our own sinful nature inside of us. Those three spiritual enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, they are all working together to try to get us to do something that is incredibly foolish. And to demonstrate how incredibly foolish it is, let me show you a few parallel examples. Um, like the kids, I'll ask you to imagine a few things this morning. So imagine that there's a person lost in the desert on the brink of starvation, on the brink of dying of thirst, and finally, at the last possible moment, they are rescued, and they're brought back to civilization, and they're given an IV, and then they're given water, and then they're given food, and slowly their body gains its health. And now, back in civilization, they finally have the thing they have been missing, which is food and water. And so they heal, and they become healthy and strong again. But then, after several months of being back to health, this person just sort of forgets to eat and drink anymore. And then their health just fades away until eventually it's gone. Or imagine something else. Imagine this scenario. Imagine there's a person suffering from all kinds of different health issues. It's very painful. It's very terrible. And then finally, the doctors come up with a very reassuring diagnosis. This person has a serious disease, but it is entirely treatable. There's a medicine that they can take and as long as they take that medicine, they will experience good, regular health. So they do. They get on the medicine, they start feeling healthy, they start doing better. And after several months of good health, this person just sort of forgets to take the medicine. And their health goes away and they fade and they're consumed by their disease. Either one of these scenarios, you just ask yourself, how, how foolish could somebody be? If this was your loved one in either one of these situations, you'd say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You've got to take care of yourself. So now I'll give you one last scenario. Imagine that a person comes to faith in Jesus. A person is born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. A person is brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. From captivity to sin to the sure and certain hope of heaven. And there's incredible joy there. There's incredible hope there. And yet, after months or years of this joy and hope, they just sort of forget to hear God's word anymore. And their faith falters and fades and eventually disappears. How foolish would that be? We'd say, very foolish. What are you doing? What are you thinking? You've got to take care of yourself. And yet this is what our spiritual enemies are trying to prevent us from doing. The devil, the world, and our own sinful nature want to keep us from taking spiritual care of ourselves. Trying to do the most basic spiritual thing we need to do, which is feed our faith so that it doesn't die. Think about it like this. Your faith is kind of like a plant. And your faith is firmly rooted in Christ your Savior. And Christ your Savior and his love for you, it is so strong that nothing can tear you away from it. Um, the book of Romans tells us this, that nothing in all creation is going to be able to separate you from the love of God. Try as he might, the devil cannot uproot 
the plant of your faith. But, also like a plant, your faith needs to be fed and watered. It can't feed on itself. It can't draw strength from you. Your faith needs nourishment from God's word. And so this is the devil and the world and your own sinful nature's smartest attack against you and your faith. It's not to uproot and tear away your faith all at once because that's not going to be possible. It is instead to cause you to neglect caring for your faith so that you slowly starve that faith away. And we saw a a real-life horror story of this happening in our Old Testament lesson for today. The king's advisors are cleaning out the temple, and in the corner they find this random dusty scroll, and they're saying, oh, what's this? This appears to be, it says it's God's law, and they start to read through it, and this is God's word talking about the covenant of their Savior, and this had just been lost and stuffed in the corner of the temple somewhere. I don't know what else they were doing in the temple, but it wasn't reading God's word. The king was was shocked and dismayed, and they restored God's word to the place where it should be. Um, But you ask, how can this happen? We talked about this in uh, Bible study before church, that this king, Josiah, his grandfather, Hezekiah, was one of the strongest spiritual leaders that Israel had had. Uh, Two generations ago, they had been built very strongly on God's word. How does it happen that in two generations, God's word slips away to the degree that it is a lost, dusty scroll in the corner of the temple? Well, the answer is it doesn't happen all at once but it happens little by little, slowly but surely, over time. And today, it continues to happen too. So we could talk in a different sermon about how over the past century, uh, the Bible has massively lost its voice in our culture. We could talk in a different sermon about a drop in biblical literacy, a drop in church attendance, a trend amongst millennials and Generation Z to say that we are spiritual but not religious, right? We could talk in a different sermon about how there are so many people who would be willing to admit some kind of existence of God, but people's view of God really has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus in the Bible. We could talk about all of those things in a different sermon. But this sermon is not about what's happening in our culture. This sermon is about what's happening in our hearts. And it is about the unsettling truth that each and every day, the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature are conspiring against us, trying to get us to unplug ourselves from our source of spiritual hope and comfort and energy that we have found in Jesus, trying to get us to slowly starve our faith to death. So this is kind of a creepy thought. God is working so hard to pull you closer to him and that you've got these insidious enemies that are working just as hard to try to pull you away from your source of strength, pull you away from God's word. So how does this happen? Um, I think sometimes our spiritual enemies work through the bad times. Life is hard. Uh, We lose our job. We lose our health. We lose a loved one. And it's painful. It's hard to face. It's hard to deal with. And so we're tempted to kind of retreat from the people around us. We're tempted to retreat from the comfort we can find in God's word. And like a turtle going into our shell, we just kind of huddle up by ourselves, where we begin to spiritually starve. 
But I think there's another way that this happens, and maybe this way is even more prevalent. Our spiritual enemies also work to starve us in the good times. So this might look like you get promoted at work. You're enjoying excellent health. You've got an exciting, action-packed, busy schedule. You've got many good things that are going on. You don't have a lot of extra margin or time in your life. You don't have time in your life for God's word. And so it can happen that despite all of your energy and your health and your strength and your many activities and maybe even the many ways that you're serving, you're running out of fuel. You're running out of gas. You've been disconnected from that gospel that you need. But either way, it's really the same thing. Even though God's word has meant so much to you in the past, your spiritual enemies will never stop trying to convince you that you've got it, you're good, you're doing other stuff, and you don't need God's word anymore in the present. But if we listen to those spiritual enemies, faith can weaken, faith can starve, faith can die. So at the beginning of this, we said all people have the same major problem. It's death caused by sin. Then we said God has provided the perfect solution. He's provided Jesus, his life and death for us. Now we are saying all Christians have a different specific problem. It's common to all of us. Our spiritual enemies are trying to get us to unplug, to stop feeding on God's word, and to weaken our faith. But thankfully... God has a solution for this one, too. And God's solution is giving us constant access to his word in the Bible and helping us to give each other constant access to his word in the Bible. So how do you look at the Bible? What does the Bible mean to you? Is it a book on your shelf that you would like to read from more, but it's hard to find time, it's hard to know where to start. What does the Bible look like to you? Is it an app that you have downloaded, but as it turns out, you've kind of rarely used it. In fact, if you were to open it, it would probably need to re-download it because you haven't opened it for a while. Um, when you look at your Bible, when you think of your Bible, what does it mean to you? The Apostle Peter suggests that the way you should look at your Bible is the way that a baby looks at its bottle. He says it like this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. All right, so here's a picture of a baby with his bottle. Looks pretty happy. Um... Some of you are parents, some are not, but maybe you could envision, what do you think would happen if you went up to this particular baby and just ripped its bottle away? I mean, babies can't talk with words, but babies can talk in lots of other ways. And I can predict what would happen to this particular baby if you popped its bottle away. Its face would turn beet red, hands would turn into little fists, its face would scrunch up. This baby would probably let out a scream that sounds like the world is about to end. It sounds like a wild animal. It sounds like a banshee. But in baby words, what it's saying is crystal clear. Give me that bottle back right now or else. And it makes sense for a baby to feel this way, doesn't it? 
babies want their milk or their formula because it tastes good. But there's more to it than that. Babies need their milk, their formula to, to live, to grow, to function, to become a healthy and strong adult. Without nutrition, a baby can't survive. Imagine if we looked at God's word the same way. God's word is something we should want. Peter says, you've tasted that the Lord is good. Why would we not want to learn about a God who loves us so much he came to our world and sacrificed himself for us? A God who loves us so much he says he's going to be with us every day of our life, and even when we face troubles and hard times, he is going to use those things for our spiritual and eternal good. How could we not want to learn more about a God who brings meaning to our world and brings meaning to our life and uses us to bring meaning to others as we get to reflect his love to the people around us? God's word tastes good. We said this in Bible study. The heart of the Bible is the gospel. It is a good message. It is a good book. We should want this. But more than that, we really need this. God's word is something we need. Because not only is this life short, but it gets heavy. This world is so full of hatred and division, pain and suffering, burnt bridges, hard feelings. It is so easy to get sucked into the heaviness of this world. I've heard a lot of people in the last year or two describe life to me this way. Life just feels heavy. And I felt that way for Peter, too. He described some of these things as malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Just the things that go on back and forth between people when life gets heavy and we lash out at each other. We need a break. We need a refresh. We need a reminder of who we are, why we're here, where we're going someday, and how because of Jesus, everything is going to be eternally okay. And the only place where we get those biggest reminders that we need the most is God's word. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Instead, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. This is really a sermon on self-care. We're asking, how do you think of the Bible? I don't know if you think of the Bible this way, but this is what it's for. This is what the Bible is. It's for your self-care. If you are really going to be a blessing to the world the way that you want to be and the way that God wants you to be, and if you are really going to love your neighbor as yourself and you're going to be like the Good Samaritan that we learned about in church last week, And if you are not just going to start strong, but finish strong, making it all the way to heaven and also influencing and impacting people along the way, if you're going to do those things, you need fuel. You need God's word. You need reminders of God's love and forgiveness for you on a regular basis. And God has given you the people who are sitting around you right now, and God has given you the special topic that we have this Sunday morning, to help and make that happen. Spiritual self-care for your faith and for your life. Amen.